in John chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also, and whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Could you not look a little bit longer? Couldn't you look out, out there in the deeper water just a little bit more? My boy's out there. Can't you find him? Nurse, can't you come and do something for this dear man? He's in pain. I think he's dying. Nurse, can't you help him? Isn't there something else you can do for him? Some of the scenes as we stand by people who embark from this life out into what we sometimes call the unknown. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put thine hand into the hand of God. That shall be to thee better than light and safer than a known way. And so I went forth and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. And he led me toward the hills and the breaking of the day in the lone east. Johnny has pictured with us to us tonight on the canvas the friend standing by the cross on the shore, saved by blood of Jesus Christ, bidding farewell to a person who has embarked in the boat of death going out on the sea beyond that which any mortal man has ever seen. And out in the distance are the lights of home. And Carol has sung, over there, will there be any stars in my crown that I might cast that crown bedecked with stars at the feet of Jesus. And the stars represent souls for whom Christ died. We think tonight of the subject into the unknown. Death is a mystery. One day death will be swallowed up in victory, but today death is an enemy. We do not understand it. There are many things about it which we cannot comprehend. The encyclopedia has this to say concerning death, a state opposed to life and considered as the cessation of life. Strictly speaking, we can trace only the cessation of organic life. The matter of which the body is composed does not perish on the death of an organized being. It undergoes various changes known by the names of decay, putrefaction, which are the preparation for its becoming subservient to new forms of life. Putrefaction is much influenced by external circumstances, particularly air and heat and water. In very dry situations, the body is converted into a mummy in which state bodies are found in the arid deserts of Africa and on the mountains of Peru. But what about death? 
Is that all we know about death? Just what happens to the body? In Training Union tonight, we talked about people who had testimonies of loved ones who coming down to the brink of death seemed to go over and then come back for a moment to say, I saw Mary, I saw Joe, I saw Daddy, I saw Mother, I saw my little grandchild. D.L. Moody said, if this is death, it's sweet. There's no dark valley. This is my coronation day. This is the day for which I was born. In 2 Samuel 12, 23, we have the succinct testimony of David. He had a little boy, child. He prayed and fasted that God might heal that little boy. But God said no. And the little child died. And the scripture says that when the child died, David dressed himself, he ate. His servants wondered, this is a strange thing that you're doing, David. David said, he cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. In Matthew chapter 17, we have the story of the transfiguration. Jesus took Peter, James, and John on the mountain. I think it was Mount Hermon in the north part of Palestine that is snow-capped much of the year. And on that mountain, there appeared to him two men from the long-distant past. One, Moses, the lawgiver. The other, Elijah, the great prophet. And Moses and Elijah talked with the Lord concerning the Lord's decease at Jerusalem. And Peter, James, and John recognized Moses and Elijah. They had never seen them. We have no record that the Lord told Peter, James, and John who they were. It simply says they recognized Moses and Elijah. How did they know him? How did they know those two men of old? Moses, of whom the scripture says God buried him. And Elijah, about whom the scripture says he went to heaven in the chariot of fire. In Luke chapter 16, we have the terrible story of a rich man dying. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. And he saw Abraham and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried out, Oh, Father Abraham, will you not send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? For I am tormented in these flames. The voice came back from the other world, Son, remember. Thou in thy lifetime didst have thine opportunities. And now there's a great gulf fixed between us. There can be no transference. And then that man in hell cried out, But Father Abraham, I have five brothers back on earth. Will you not send Lazarus that he may, that he may go as one resurrected from the dead and warn my brothers, lest they come to this terrible place? What do we learn from this? We learn that in the awful abyss of hell, there is memory. We learn that in the awful abyss of hell, there is a gulf fixed so that men cannot get out of hell. They are there forever. We learn that in the awful abyss of hell, men recognize things that go on in heaven. And we recognize that those in hell have some type of concern that we do not understand about the men left on earth, especially their family circle. Into the unknown, the philosopher may say, I know not anything about death or thereafter. 
But the one who has known Christ, the one who is familiar with the Word of God, the one who has as a daily companion the Holy Spirit, as the Spirit of God teaches us the truths of the Word of God, can never in this life or in the life to come say, I did not know. For the Word of God tells us much about heaven and hell and death and the great beyond. The story is told of how wonderful heaven is and how beautiful it is. You've heard the illustrations, you know the stories, you know the song that's one of my favorites, How Beautiful Heaven Must Be. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about the glory of heaven when he says, what is our joy or crown or joy, crown of rejoicing or not even ye in the presence of the Lord? I heard the story of a little girl that was born blind. Nothing seemed to be able to be done for her. And then a noted physician heard about the case and he asked permission to experiment. He experimented with eye transplants. And that little girl, about 10 or 11 years of age, had the surgery. The bandages were on her eyes and on a certain morning the doctor came in, her mother was there and the doctor removed the bandages and she began to see the light of day for the first time in her life. And then as that vision became more real, she was allowed to get out of bed and go to the window and she looked out and as all the vast panoramic view of life began to pass before her eyes for the very first time in her life, she said, oh mommy, mommy, why didn't you tell me how beautiful everything is? Her mother said, honey, I tried, but I just couldn't do it. I think heaven will be like that. Matthew, John, Paul, James, John, why didn't you tell us how beautiful heaven is? I tried to in the Bible, but we just couldn't tell you how beautiful it is. It's so beautiful. It's beautiful beyond words. Into the unknown. I want us to think for a few moments tonight about heaven. And I hope that the ship of your life is set toward heaven so that when you come down to that brink and your friends have gathered in the room where you must embark and you enter that ship that is to take you across the river of death, you'll know where you're going. And there'll be no dark valleys and out beyond that river, there will have be the assurance in your heart, friends will be there I have loved long ago. Joy like a river all around me will flow. Yet just a smile from the Savior I know will through the ages be glory for me. Jesus will be there. First of all, heaven is real. Jesus said in John 14, 1, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Jesus was very realistic in his words. When he talked about conditions and states of mind, he made it clear. But when he talked about places, he made that clear. And Jesus said, heaven is a real place. I think heaven is as real as this church building in which we meet tonight. Heaven is as real as the home in which you live. Heaven is a real place. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. And heaven is a place where Jesus is. Heaven is real. 
a place, not just a state of the mind, but a place where we will know one another. Secondly, heaven is a home. The word home brings to our hearts the sweetest and tenderest memories and thoughts. And heaven is our home. Now listen to me tonight, please. Hell is not a home. Hell is the prison of the damned. Eternal hell has no marks of a home. It's a place of suffering, a place of anguish, a place of torment, a place of separation. There is nothing there that will ever satisfy the human heart or the human mind or the, or the body or any need we have in our life. Nothing in hell will ever satisfy man. So hell cannot be anybody's home. It's an awful separation from God, a place that Jesus described as weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Where is our home? Well, our home is not really on this earth. We have here no continuing city. This world is not my home, I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. But I can't feel at home in this world anymore. The scripture speaks of settlers and sojourners. There is a woe given in the word of God in the book of Revelation to those who are settlers here. Are you a settler or a sojourner? Have you become so accustomed to the things of this world and the favors of the world and the and the customs and all of the plans of the earth and the world that you have taken up permanent residence here and have forgotten that your real home is heaven. If this world is indeed your home, then you are spiritually poverty stricken. For in this earth we have no continual satisfaction. That which seems to be valid today, tomorrow will be invalid. We live in an age that speaks much of situation ethics, and though that can never be true in a believer's life, it is true in the civilization and society in which we live. That which seemed to be strong, tomorrow will be weak. That which once seemed to be weak will one day be strong. That which seemed to be of moral truth will be held by the civilization in which we live as morally invalid in the days ahead. We live in a changing society, and if this world is your home, you're indeed in trouble. Earth has no resting place. Earth has no ultimate satisfaction. Earth has no answers, no ultimate answers to life, nor to death, nor to the meaning of man, where he is from, nor where he is going. But thirdly, I would like to say heaven is not only a home, heaven is where the real things count. Heaven is where the real things count. It's nice to have luxuries here. It's nice to have a home in which you have wall-to-wall -wall carpeting, and I'm glad we have that in the church. It's nice to have stereo music in your home. It's nice to have fine furniture. It's nice to have the kind of electric refrigerator that defrosts itself and you don't have to worry with all those kind of things 
It's nice to have a wonderful stove. You just press this button and on comes this, and you press another button, something else comes on, and you press another button, and the oven gets to a certain temperature and bakes your goods and turns it all out, and you press another button, and all the dishes you dirtied when you ate got cleaned, and you don't have any trouble with it. Isn't that wonderful? All those wonderful things. I think sometimes that I have a Cadillac taste with a Model T pocketbook, and there are lots of other people in my situation too. It's nice to have all these wonderful things, but these things do not really count because they're not real. They're just transitory. They're here for a little while, and then they're gone. What are the things that really count over in that city of God? What are the things that really count right here? I think if we could stop and sit down and make a list of the things that really, really, really are important, we'd find out a whole lot about heaven because the things that are really, really important are the things that heaven are made of. Love, peace, joy, sense of forgiveness. Imagine living in a home here in the earth and feeling like your husband or wife constantly looked daggers at you and had no forgiveness for your incongruities. I want to ask the wives here tonight, how many of you wives have been perfect ever since you got married. Now, I'm not talking about perfect in just one area. I mean perfect, straight down the line. You've never had any sins, never had any problems. You've never told any lies. You've never jealous, never been jealous. You've never had enmity, never had resentment. You never got mad at your husband. Never any of those things. Put your hands up. I don't see any hands. Isn't that funny? I want to ask you husbands, how many of you husbands here tonight have just absolutely been perfect? You've been a perfect husband ever since you got married. You've never had any resentments, never had any jealousies, never got mad at your wife. You never uh, complained about the burned toast. You never had any grumbles or gripes, never any of those things. Lift your hand. No, no hands, no hands. But listen, imagine trying to live in the confines of four walls in a home and have your companion here never forgive you for some sin you've committed or something that you've done wrong. Imagine the hell on earth you would go through. If you want to know about heaven, if you want to know about the joys of heaven, one of the joys of heaven is the absolute forgiveness so that your sin is remembered against you no more. That's what makes heaven, that's what makes your home like heaven on earth. And wives and husbands, if you want to have a heaven on earth home, you start practicing forgiveness. Just forgive. How many times should I forgive, Peter said. And Jesus said, 70 times, seven. Oh, Peter said, just seven times. Jesus said, 70 times, seven. On and on and on and on. You just have a spirit of forgiveness, remembering that God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Love, joy, peace, sense of forgiveness, orderliness. <laughs> I think... Uh, I think if you really wanted to have a home that was like heaven on earth, you could have orderliness in your home. I can't hardly stand junky, junky, junky messes. And I tell you, I, I, I'm not going to talk about any homes I've ever been in because that's, I never do that. I don't talk about people's homes I've been in. I thank God for every home I've ever been in. I love you. But I want to say to you, I'm going to pick on the husbands first. Husband. If you keep all those nuts and bolts and screws and all those kinds of things you find and pick up and carry around, pick up, put them in boxes and keep them in the right place and keep them clean and, and neat, your wife will get along a lot better with you. And husband, wives, 
If you pick up the papers and fix the furniture and clean up the floors and clean up the dishes and make things look nice in your home, your husband will like your home a whole lot better. And you'll have an orderly home in the earth. Now, heaven is a home where there is orderliness. Some of you are going to write down in your, if you're not writing a note now, you're writing it down in your mind's eye so you can go home and talk about it tonight after you get home. You're going to say, now that preacher doesn't know what he's talking about because he's not married. I know, but I've heard husbands talk and I've heard wives talk and I know all about it and I've been in some of your homes. And if we could get our homes straight and clean, godliness, cleanliness is next to godliness. And I believe in heaven there's going to be orderliness in heaven. And I think Smells good, too. Preacher, you're sure getting personal tonight. That's right. I'm just saying we ought to have homes that honor Jesus and make our homes in the earth like the homes in heaven. And the home in heaven is going to count the real things that will count orderliness. And with the Lord, there is no disorder. Isn't that wonderful? No disorder in heaven. Nothing at all. No disorder. And I think kindness and thoughtfulness in the little things. You know what goes to make home sweet here in the earth? It's not always carrying home a dozen roses to your wife. It's not always the big things, but it's the kind little things that we do day by day by day by day by day, the little things that make for a sweet home. And I believe that heaven is going to be precious because Jesus is going to take care of the little things, the little things, the things that really count. Now, I believe that heaven can be enriched by what we do in the earth. Heaven can be enriched by what we do in the earth. Paul said, what is our joy or crown of rejoicing are not even ye in the presence of the Lord? If we're going to heaven, here's some things I'd like to have done first in my life on the earth. In order to make heaven what it ought to be, as far as I'm concerned, there's some things in the earth that I'd like to get accomplished before I go. Number one, I'd like to know something about the Bible. You know, I'd hate to go to heaven and not know anything about the Word of God. God would say, hey, Richard, uh, did you uh, remember uh, such and such a thing and I say Lord I didn't know anything about it and he said well, why didn't you read the Bible it was in there I, I told you what to do it was right there did you remember to forgive those who wronged you why Lord I didn't ever forgive anybody wronged me I stored up all that resentment and hatred and man I just grumbled my way through life because I couldn't stand this guy and that guy and the other guy and I didn't like the way they talked didn't like the way they walked didn't like the, what they did and they hurt me and they offended me Jesus will say, Richard, didn't you know that I told you in there to forgive them before they even ask you to be forgiven? I'll raise my eyebrows, say, Lord, I didn't know that was there. Well, I want to thank the Lord that he helped me to find that in here. It's in here. And so I want to practice it that way. Or suppose I go to heaven and, and I say, now, Lord, I'm saved and I trusted the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, to get, cleanse me from all sin, and I'm here. And the Lord will say, now, look, uh, Richard, what would you do with your life while you were down there? And I say, well, uh, what do you mean what did I do? I got saved and that was it. Now, now, but Richard, what did you do with your life? Did you, did you get part, become part of a church? Part of a church? Well, you know I didn't have become part of a church. All those old foolish people over at the church, all they do is go and sing. 
and they go and uh, go and meet and they just go and have long meetings I didn't go to church and, and the Lord will say Richard didn't you know that I told you to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is I said Lord where was that that was in the Bible that was in the Bible Hebrews 10 25 that's where it was oh Lord I didn't know that was there you see, I want to read the Bible and find out from God's Word what God says I'm to do. And that will make heaven sweeter. I heard about a man that married a very strange woman. She was really odd. She had some peculiarities about her. Now, there are lots of peculiar men. And this happened to be a peculiar woman. And she had a lot of oddities. And, and that husband really loved her. And he, uh, he wanted to please her and he wanted to make her feel like a queen all the time. You know what he did? He went, he noticed she was a little bit odd and funny and peculiar. So he went to his, her mother and found out all the odd, peculiar things about her and wrote them all down. And then when some of these odd, peculiar things would come out, he'd just smile. He'd say, number two, <laughs> just smile. And uh, something else would happen and he'd say, number four, and she'd look at him and she'd just smile and everything go fine. And for five years, everything went just fine. And uh, he, every few days, he'd say, number six, uh, number three, number two, number one, so on. Finally, she couldn't understand it anymore. And she said, what in the world are all these numbers you holler at? Oh, she said, he said, I made a list of all your odd, peculiar ways and wrote them down and, and so I'd understand them. I got them from your mother and I just uh, numbered them and every time you pull one of those odd things, I just smile and everything goes fine. Boy, she got furious then. Everything went wild fine until he told her. Now, what we need to do is find out everybody's oddities and love them anyway. Amen? Do you know anybody doesn't have some oddities? <laughs> everybody's peculiar but me and thee and sometimes I wonder about thee. We all have them. And we have oddities and peculiarities and we need to find out what they are and love in spite of it. It'll make earth sweeter and our homes sweeter and it'll make us better prepared for heaven. I believe that. Believe us what the scripture teaches. There are some other things about heaven though. I, I, if I were going to heaven tonight, I'd want to be sure that I'd read the Bible. That's the reason I want to challenge everybody to read the Bible through in 1976. Everybody. I hope we'll all read the Word of God through every page of it, every jot and tittle of it. Read it through from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew to Revelation. And then, I think secondly, I'd want to be obedient here. I read in the Bible that he that confesseth me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. I believe that the scripture teaches every born again believer needs to come and let the church know it. Confessing Christ openly as Savior. Many times when somebody gets saved, I'll say to that person, now there are several ways we can tell the folks. We can get a microphone and go out all over Bowling Green and say, hey, everybody, here's John, here's Mary, I just got saved. I said, you could do that, but that's really not what God wants you to do. What God does want you to do is next Sunday to come down to the church where the Christians are when the invitation's given. They come to confess Christ. Somebody says, why do I have to do that? Because Jesus said, whosoever shall confess me before men, him will I also confess before my Father which is in heaven. And then the Lord wants us to take a trip to the baptistry, even if it's cold. 
He wants us to follow the Lord Jesus and believers' baptism. Why? Why should I do that? Go in there and get all wet? Why do that? Because Jesus said to. And do you know that Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan? It was important to him, not in order to get him saved. Jesus didn't need to be saved. But because thus it behooveth us to fulfill all righteousness, it's the right thing to do, Jesus said. And if it was right for Christ, it's certainly right for his followers. And Jesus said to his church, Go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so I believe that we want to be obedient to Christ. One does not have to be baptized to get to heaven. But I'd hate to go to heaven unbaptized. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, I just mean that I want to be, obey what the Lord says. Now, remember this. We're not saved by being obedient. We're saved by grace. But everybody gets saved by grace ought to be obedient. And so I'd want to obey the command of Christ in following the Lord in baptism. If you're here tonight, you're not, you've, never, you've, you've been saved, but you've never confessed the Lord or you've never been baptized, I believe God's Word says that every believer should follow the Lord Jesus and believers' baptism. And so, before I get to heaven, I want to be sure that I've been baptized the way Jesus told me to be. And I don't think that's by sprinkling, nor a fusion or pouring or any of those other things. I believe that means down under the water, picturing the death and burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus from the dead, a triumphant power over sin and grave and death and hell. And then I believe every, the scripture teaches that we'd want to be obedient with our tithes and offerings. We want to be obedient to the Lord in giving loyally and faithfully to him. Our tithes and offerings. Now you don't get saved by being a tither. There's some, probably plenty of tithers that are on their way to hell. What? You mean somebody could give to God's church, give to the work of the Lord here in the earth and still go to hell? Yes, sir. I used to know a man in this city Every time he'd see me, he'd try to offer me some money. I'd try to witness to him about the Lord, talk to him about Jesus. And uh, for a while, I took some of the money he gave and gave it to the Lord's work. Thought, thought maybe the devil had it long enough and God needed it, could use it. But then I began to notice that he would give me this to try to get me not to witness to him, make me think that he was better and good and so on. So I just quit taking his money. And I said, now look, you can give all your money to the Lord after you get saved. But right now, I, you can give it or mail it or some other way, but don't you give it to me. I want to talk to you about Jesus. Men can try to pay their way to heaven and they'll bust hell wide open. They'll be lost forever. If you're here tonight trying to get to heaven by tithing or paying, you'll never get there that way. However, every Christian, every believer needs to be a tither. Every one of us, without exception. God would not require more of the Jews under the law than he does of Christians under grace. If the Jews were commanded to do this and this and this, how is it that we, under the grace of God, would not to say, want to say, Lord, if the Jews had to do this, Lord, I want to do more. I want to do more. I want to serve you more. And so, I want to, I want to say, Lord, before I get to heaven, make me a tither. Make me faithful with giving to you 10 cents out of every dollar, $1 out of every $10, $10 out of every $100, $100 out of every $100, $100 out of every 
$100 out of every $1,000. Lord, I want to be faithful to you in tithing what you give to me and more than tithing. And I want to be faithful in my church membership. You know, it's something to belong to the church. I'm talking tonight to saved people. Most of you, most of you are saved people. It's something to belong to a church. There's some people, and I'm not criticizing or banging at anything, but I want to say this. There's some people who treat their lodges better than they treat the church. Some people who treat all kinds of things they belong to better than they do the Lord's church. I take my hat off, sometimes my shoes off, and thinking that I stand on holy ground when I meet faithful people who come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, who are faithful, who have fidelity to the Lord and His church. Before I get to heaven, I'd want to say, Lord, I want to be faithful to you in the earth. Then I would want to say, Lord, I want to be your servant. In Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Fidelity to the cross of Christ. We do not see Jesus hanging on a cross today because the cross while it is an emblem of what he did for us on the cross, the resurrection, the empty tomb, is the place of rejoicing tonight. And that's the symbol of the Christian faith. But the cross is a symbol of sacrificial service. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God called me to his service. And I just want to say to you unapologetically tonight, I'm glad he did. I love him. I'll never understand until we get to heaven why he would ever ask old mud and clay Richard Oldham to be his servant, his special servant. But I want to say thank you, Lord, for making it clear to me. When I was 19, he helped make it clear something that had been in the back of my mind for years, that God had something special he wanted me to do in life. And when I yielded to it, he began to open doors. And as I went through one door, he would open another door. And I went through that door, he'd open another door. I think if I had not gone through the first, he wouldn't have opened the second. It is the doors of obedience. And when we go through the doors of obedience, the Lord opens other doors and other doors and on and on and on. If you're here tonight and God has his hand on your life, yield to his will. Surrender to what he knows, what you know he wants you to do. You may not know all about the future. You may not know all that he wants you to do, but surrender to that area of work that he wants you to do. I think I knew this all through my teenage years, and, and I began to have a worldly spirit, maybe to get my mind off of things. And I read things that I ought not, ought not to read, and I went to old trashy movies that I ought not to have gone to, and they had nothing in those days like they have today. I don't know how... God's people can go and waste their time in old movies today. But anyway, when I yielded my life to the will of God, I'm not saying you have to do this, but this was the way it was with me. When I yielded my life to the will of God when I was 19, God said, Richard, movies are out for you no more. They have caused a worldly spirit in your life, caused you to have your mind on things that are not of things of God. And I said, all right, Lord, I'm reporting for duty. And I meant it. I meant it. 
That doesn't mean that I never sinned again. That doesn't mean that I never was out of the will of God again. But it does mean that I got on a course that took me to the place God wanted me to be. And I believe there are young men and young women in this place tonight upon whom God is placing his hand, his finger. He's saying, I have a work for you. I have something I want you to do. And I want to urge you to surrender to it, to yield to it. I pray that God will help us to reach a thousand in Sunday school. That's my prayer. Oh, God knows that. I want that so much. I believe that's God's will, but I want to say this. I don't want to do that at the sacrifice of calling out young people to serve the Lord God. And if God called every young man and every young woman that comes through the portals of this church into his service so that they came here for a little while and then went out to serve the Lord in various places around the world and we didn't have any more, I'd say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for accomplishing your mission and purpose here. That's the way I feel about it. I, oh, I want God's will done more than anything. I want to be in the will of God. I want to be where God wants me to be, and I want you to be where God wants you to be. Because one day we're going to have to give a report to heaven, in heaven. We're going to have to give the report to Jesus. What have you done with what I told you to do? There's some people who have been called by God who have never yielded, never surrendered to his will, never done what he wants you to do, and you've always been like a slave at your office or your task or your business or your work because you never really did what God told you to do. You've never really been thrilled and enjoyed and, and taken up in ecstasy with what you're doing because you never did what God wants you to do. I want to urge you tonight, don't make that mistake longer. Yield to him tonight, now, for the will of God. And then I want to say this. Faithfulness in the earth is one of the things that will count in heaven. And heaven can be enriched by our faithfulness on earth. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. Isla Gray went to be with Jesus. And I guess for years, as long as anybody is still on earth who knew that dear saint, they'll speak of her. Miss Gray used to tell me that she would be here until her mission was accomplished. I'd go see her on Kentucky Street. She'd say, oh, Brother Old. And she'd shake her head. She'd say, uh, God wants to do something. God wants to do something with Glendale. God wants to do something with my life, she said. And I'm going to be here until God gets it done. She went to the hospital. They put this thing in her throat. She could hardly talk, and she'd try to talk anyway, and she'd put her finger up here and put that over. The doctor said, you're not supposed to do it. She'd put it here, and she said, now I know the doctor told me not to do it, but I just want to say, oh, Brother Oldham, God's going to leave me here until my mission's accomplished, and he's got something for me to do, and I'm not tired yet. Last time she was in the, in the intensive care over at this hospital, I went in to stay, stood by her, and I thought she was asleep. And she opened her eyes and saw me, and she started shaking her head. And she put her finger up here and she said, oh, I'm going back to my room. God's not through with me yet. Last Sunday, she said to those gathered around her, God's through with me here. Her daughter said, but, but Mom, we love you. Oh, I know you love me. We love you. Don't you want to stay with us? No, no. God's through with me here. I'm going. And at one o'clock Monday morning, she went to be with the Lord. Mission accomplished. 
And God has a mission and a purpose for every one of us. Be thou faithful unto death, and I'll give thee the crown of life. Keep on being faithful. Don't be faithful for a little while. Don't be faithful for a few days. Don't just be the kind of sporadic Christian that goes up for a little while and then when things don't please you, you go, <clears throat> all the air comes out of your balloon and you're nothing. Serve God with all you've got until God takes you. Heaven is available to everybody. Here on the earth, there are some things not available to everybody. I read about Mrs. Winchester, who in Santa Clara Valley, California, in the 1890s built a little house to dwell in. She wasn't satisfied with that little house, and she started adding on to the house. She added here and there, and she added some more rooms, and she added an apartment here, and she added a big living room here, and she added another room, and pretty soon they tell us that that little house covered 14 acres of ground. And then one day, death went looking for the lady. He went into the front room, in the living room, in one of those parlors, in one of those apartments, and on and on and on until it found her way in the middle of that 14-acre house and took her. And then who shall these things be? It's nice to have a big house. It's nice to have a luxurious home. It's nice to have all the good things of life. It's nice to have a pink palace to live in. I was in a house not long ago when I was in a revival meeting. It was the huge, biggest house I ever saw in my life. We, dro we drove up there. I was using a, a car. Tom Oldham loaned me. And it was a little Dodson. And I drove up in this little Dodson, this great, big, huge house. And uh, the preacher, Brother Bob, had gotten there a little bit before me. And... He went in, and I, I drove in, and when I walked in the house, uh, the first, they said, now we want you to look around. So I started looking around. First door on my right, there was a great big room. They said, that was for our cars. There was a room, heated room. That was for our cars, three cars there in the garage. And I looked on my left, and there was a room. That was a sewing room. And it was a beautiful, had stereo music in it, and oh, ornately enriched and so on. Then I went a little bit further, and there was a great big room. They said, that's a bathroom. And it was huge, great big, and I went in. And then I went into a room that looked like this auditorium. It was a great big high place like this, and great, huge, just about half as big as this auditorium. They said, I thought that was the chapel. They said, no, this is our living room. And uh, they, it was wall-to-wall -wall rugs and everything. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. I loved it. Oh, I tell you, that, that's the kind of taste I've got. I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and then I went a little bit further, and, they, and we, I went out on a den. They don't ever use it, they said. It's just out here, and it's, it's a place where you sit. Uh, family room, two people. Family room out there. And I uh, said, so we, we don't ever use that room. And it was beautiful. It looked like a sun porch. Great big thing. And then we went back in another house, another part of the house, and here was a great big room over there. So that's our guest room. And we hardly ever have any guests, but that's our guest room. And I went back, and then there was another room that was about half as big as this auditorium, and that was the master bedroom. And off that master bedroom, there was another great big room over here that was about a quarter as big as this, and that was their, their master bedroom's bathroom. And I will tell you, that was some house I liked, and I like it. I like that kind of thing. I think it's nice. 
if you can have that kind of thing. But I tell you, we all may not be able to have that on earth, right? Some of us may live in hovels. Some of us may live in back alleys. Some of us may live in the little lanes and the little streets and be nobodies here in the earth. But I will tell you, heaven is available to everybody. And Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am there, you may be also. Oh, how wonderful heaven is. Talking about going into the unknown. Look at there. You see, in the daylight, with the lights on, you can't see heaven back there beyond that sea. You just have to go by faith to the edge of the, uh, to as far as your friends can go. And then you get in that ship of death. And you go on out on the river of death. But we know that out beyond death is heaven for those who are saved, God's people, God's chosen people, those who have been to Jesus for the cleansing power and have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is that true of you? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Heaven is a wonderful home. I'm sure you've heard this story many times, and I want to tell it again tonight. Dr. Beterwolf tells the story of Benny. Benny was an engineer. He was a great Christian engineer. And over in one of the eastern cities, he told the story one day of his own home. He said, I used to drive the engine down the road, and when I'd come in the evening, come to the end of the road, I'd bring the old engine, the train, around a curve. And when I got to that curve, I'd open up the whistle and blow a big blast. And as I rounded the curve out on the hillside there was a little white cottage and, and a little old man a little old woman came out and they'd wave and we'd wave and then as i went took my train into the tunnel that little old woman would go back and say father thank god that benny's home safe tonight after a while daddy went away we had to lay him aside in the graveyard and then i'd bring my train down that little old place and I'd go around that curve and just as I'd get to that little hillside I'd put a big blast on the whistle and I'd look out there and there was that little old lady and she'd wave and I'd wave and then as I took my train into the tunnel she'd turn and go back into the house and say God thank you that Benny's home safe tonight and then after a while, mother went away. We had to lay her aside in the graveyard. And I'd take my train and go up that curve and get to that little corner. And just as I'd go around the curve, I'd look out at that little old white house. And the little old woman, the little old man weren't there anymore. But I thought one day when I take my train down the last road, and I go over toward heaven and I blow that big blast and I enter heaven I'll see that little old woman little old man again and they'll say father in heaven thank you that Benny's home safe in heaven tonight is that true with you do you have a home beyond this life may we pray Our Father, we thank Thee for the wonderful place called heaven. Our hearts have been stirred in the last few days as we've seen some of our own people and loved ones go to that city. 
We pray that tonight, if there's one person in this room who does not have the assurance of heaven, if death is just entering the unknown, we pray that thy spirit will show him how beautiful heaven is. And may that man, woman, boy, or girl, by faith, come to the cross. Trust what Jesus did on the cross is enough to cleanse from sin. May they be saved tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Heaven is an available place to everybody. And I want to ask tonight if you're, first of all, if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're going to heaven, you're not positive, I'd like to ask you to get positive before you leave. Glendale Baptist Church this evening you say how can I be sure the Bible says for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved whosoever I was one of those whosoever's and Jesus found me and saved me he'll do the same thing for you. you you may say but how do you go about it well if you're not sure I wish you'd come let us have the opportunity to take the Bible and show you just a few verses from the Word of God how to know you're going to heaven. Would you do that? Just come. Come with your sin, with your sorrow, with your faith or your lack of faith. Just come. And then secondly, if you're already saved, remember that heaven is available for everybody, but there are lots of people that don't know about it. They don't know it. For them, when they come to that last breath and they face the river it's like going out into the unknown they don't know where they're going some may bravely say I'm not afraid but it's because they don't know about over there they've lived lives that have somehow tried to erase fear from their their minds and hearts but they don't know about the distance they don't know about the future I wonder if you'd commit yourself tonight to say, Lord, by the grace of God, I want to tell others. I want to go and tell others. I want to let everybody know that they can be in heaven with my Father in heaven. It may mean some changes in your schedule. It may mean in this coming year, a changes in priorities. I wonder if there's somebody here tonight who would like to say, Richard, by the grace of God, I want to make heaven available to others by telling them about it. As we begin to sing, who will come first for the King, for Christ Jesus.